This week, I have struggled a minute. Uh, I've been tired. The week seemed a little bit longer. The uh, requirements a little bit harder. It's caused me to think a little bit of the days following the crucifixion. The actions of, of different people after the event. And the stories recorded in Scripture of what happened after His death. You know, we, we had the disciples who all ran away. They went to hide. You have the women who followed at a distance, who watched as his body was placed in a tomb very hastily. You have that Saturday, that long Saturday, where everyone was questioning everything. There is one song that if I have a hymnal in front of me, I can peck it out on the piano. Um, I can't play it. I can peck it. I can peck just the melody. It's the go-to lullaby in our house. If, if the kids want a song, it is the song that I sing. Um, it's found on page 187 of our hymnal. The song is in the garden. When I hear that song, I think of the story of Mary Magdalene on the morning of the resurrection. I envision how that morning happened for her. I get excited with her again as she encounters Jesus. And this morning I want to look at the passage of Scripture that this song describes. I want to look at Mary Magdalene and her story. It's found in John chapter 20. Now, there's not a whole lot of lead up to that because we know what the lead up is. The lead up to John chapter 20 is Jesus died. And it wasn't a fake death. It wasn't just, oh, he passed out. And it wasn't that, oh, this was a play that they were perpetrating. There were things that happened on the day of the crucifixion that proved that the death of Jesus was real. They stabbed him in the heart. You don't get over that without a physician today. And they didn't have those kind of positions back then. There was nothing to do. Jesus was dead. The women watched him be buried. And on that Easter Sunday morning so long ago, we start in John chapter 20. And we find the story of Mary Magdalene. And it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple went around Peter and got to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the clean cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. And the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw and believed, for they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. But Mary stood outside, facing the tomb, crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white standing there, one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, you have removed him. Tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you this morning for the truth of the resurrection. Be with us now. We ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You know, loving Jesus can mean doing things you don't understand. Imagine Mary that morning. Her thoughts, her frame of mind on the way to Jesus was dead. He had to be buried quickly. He hadn't even been properly prepared. And now she was headed to finish those preparations. Jesus was dead. And to Mary, it must have seemed like all her hopes had died with him. I'm sure that her mind raced back to the day she met Jesus. The scripture tells us that he exercised seven demons out of her. If she hadn't have found Jesus when she did, or if he hadn't have found her, she would still be subject to the authority of demons living within her. Jesus had saved her from demon control, but not only that, he had become so much more to her. She believed that Jesus was going to save them all. He was going to be the Messiah, the great leader, the Savior of Israel, supposed to lead them into freedom and victory. He was supposed to be that. He was not supposed to die. He wasn't supposed to be lying in the tomb. He wasn't supposed to hang on that tree. That she still couldn't get that image out of her mind. Him beaten, him bruised, him broken, so close to death, but still carrying that cross. Him on that tree with his arms spread out, every breath pain, looking down at her and his mother. And the other women who made it to the cross. And him taking care of his mother even in the moment of death. And then that last breath. That last ragged, pain, tortured breath. She'd never forget that sound. That breath that had brought her back to life with just three words, demons, come out. That beautiful voice that had awed the crowds, that voice who at the beginning said, let there be, and there was. That gentle touch that brought the children to him, all of it gone, all of it silenced, dead. He wasn't supposed to die. 
still couldn't believe that he was. He was supposed to save us all. What happened to that? What are we supposed to do now? And now she just wanted to do the one thing that she could do. Tend his body. At least she could do that. She could take care of him in death. She didn't know why it happened this way. But it had. And now she's just going to do what she can. You know we too will sometimes be called upon to do things we don't understand for God. Things may seem hopeless. You may be depressed. It may be hard. You may feel like giving up. But sometimes God will simply provide for us menial tasks to do. To put one foot in front of the other. To keep moving. To keep marching. To do the things that we can do until we can get back to where we need to be. Things to keep our mind off of what we may see as failure. Her world came crashing down when they rolled that stone in front of the tomb. Mary didn't understand why she was on the way to the tomb instead of on the way to dinner at the royal palace. She didn't understand why he died rather than putting others to death. She didn't understand what she was to do next, but she was going to do what she could. That's where many Christians are today. We don't understand what to do next. The question is simply, will we do what we can? Are we willing to do what we don't understand for God? Mary didn't understand this. She didn't know what was going on, but she made up her mind to do the least she could do, and she started up that hill. I bet she wondered, Who's going to roll a stone? It, it took a legion of soldiers to put that stone in place. Who's, who's going to? That is until she got there. And it was missing. And then, without doing anything else, she looked, she ran, she went to get the disciples who just wouldn't believe her. So they came, they checked, and then they left her standing there alone. More distraught than ever, because now she couldn't even take care of the body he was gone. Don't want to demonize the disciples here, but they sure left her in a lurch. I mean, she came to them distraught. She came to the leaders to tell her what was going on. They looked and they went and went home. She's still standing in the garden saying, what am I supposed to do next? What should I do now? There she stands, looking for, wanting and needing Jesus and not finding Him. And Mary looks. And she looks inside the tomb, and there she sees two angels. And they say, who are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for Jesus, but He's not here. If I could just find Him. And she walks away. She just saw two angels, and she walked away. If you saw an angel, what do you think you did? One angel. She saw two. Standing on each end. Don't you think these guys and dads and wives who are sitting in a place they shouldn't be might have some information about what's going on? We know he tell, they tell the other women who show up that he's risen. And she just doesn't even stop to listen. She doesn't stop to hear. She doesn't want to know. She needed Jesus. When you have experienced Jesus, nothing or nobody else will do. 
She needed Jesus. She had a heart-shaped hole, a Jesus-shaped hole right in the middle of her. She had a void the exact size and shape of Jesus, and he was the only one who would do. She had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and eaten with Jesus and lived with Jesus. She had seen miracles and acts of kindness and heard his teachings. And she was distressed beyond anything she had ever felt. She just wanted the one she knew who could send the demons out because he could fix it. And that's what she wanted. When you have Jesus, when you've experienced Jesus, when you know Jesus, nothing else can replace that relationship. You can try. Many do. Many look after the wrong things. They try over and over again, but there's always something lacking. So often, our attempts to replace Jesus turn us to addiction or depression or brokenness. But Mary wasn't having none of that. She wanted Jesus. And as she turned to go, the gardener's there. She got tears in her eyes, I'm sure. She runs into this man who she thinks is the gardener. It's Jesus. She has a conversation. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And again, her replies the same. If you've removed it, just tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Whew. Man. Mary is ready to pick up Jesus by herself. And take him wherever she needs to. Because she just needs Jesus. She didn't say, I'll go get help. She just said, tell me where he is and I'll move him. I'll go get him. I'll move him. I'll do this. <laughs> she had a conversation. And she didn't recognize him until he said, Mary. You know, Jesus always calls us by name. And sometimes it's not our, it's not our full name. Because you know, Mama says that when we get in trouble. Sometimes he has pet names for us and he gives us other names. Remember Simon, the son of John? He calls him Peter, the rock. The guy who waffled. The guy who was anything but firm. He's the rock. He gives us these names. You know, we, we all have names that our family calls us that nobody else does, right? I am I'm an old Jewish grandma to my nieces, basically. Because they call me Bubby. And that's what the Jewish children call their grandmothers, Bubby. My sister called me Bub. And so it was going to be Uncle Bub, but we knew that, that she wouldn't be able to say, the oldest one wouldn't be able to really say that. And so when she said it the first time, it was Bubby, and that's what stuck. Bubby. Shiloh has lots of names, and I call him, and they're nice most of the time. But he knows when I'm talking to him because I've called his name. Sometimes he doesn't answer to Shiloh because I never call him Shiloh. That's, I call him Bub. I call him Eudemus. What else do I call him? 
Sister calls him Bubba. We all call him something else. And we answer to those names. And so when Jesus begins to talk to us, He always calls us by name. And it may not be your formal name. It may be the name that He has given you. The one that He calls out to you. But He's calling to you and He knows it's to you. He called her name and she knew it was Him when He said Mary. And all at once, she knew He wasn't dead. All at once, she knew that there was still hope. Her comfort came not in a spectacular way. There weren't fireworks. There wasn't a, a, a tornado or a great big wildfire or anything like that. It was simply her name from his lips, Mary. That was her comfort. He is there and he knows her by name. His voice calling her name changed the tomb from a place of despair to a place of rejoicing. The empty tomb went from a place of fear and confusion. And now it's a place of hope. In the future. In fact, the empty tomb is the greatest symbol of hope the world has ever known. We live in a society who is in love with superheroes, right? And we look to superheroes as hope. Man, Captain America and Iron Man and all those guys, we just line up and we pay billions of dollars to watch them in the movies. But their symbols of hope don't hold a candle to the empty tomb. Their symbols of hope can't stand up because the empty tomb means that God's promises are true. The empty tomb means that death is not the end. The empty tomb means that there is hope in a hopeless world. The empty tomb means that salvation is real and it's available to everyone. The empty tomb means that hell does not win. That's the empty tomb. The empty tomb means that everything that this world throws at us doesn't mean anything because Jesus has overcome. Our comfort comes in the fact that He is alive and He knows us by name. He knows us by name. He isn't an impersonal God who sits in heaven judging the earth. That's how some people paint Him, right? God lives there. And He's there. And he looks down and he judges. He looks down and he shakes his finger. He looks down and he smites people. And he does all these things. And he wants us to live horrible, empty lives because all we get to do is follow the rules and it's so horrible and it's so bad. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is a personal Savior. He isn't some far out idea of perfect morals. He's the living, personal God described in the New Testament. He's the Savior who came who wrapped himself in the flesh of a baby, who trusted himself to a teenage girl, who lived in this world just like you and just like me. He's the shepherd who knows his sheep by name. He is the one who crafted us and formed us before we ever entered this world. He is the precious lamb The world in which we live will tell you that all roads lead to heaven. That's not true. The world in which we live will tell you that our default is heaven. That's not true. The truth 
contained in Scripture is that Jesus loved us so much, He stepped out of heaven and died the most excruciating death anyone has ever known so that He could forgive our sins. So that we could go to heaven. There's only one way. There's only one name. Every other religion in the world falls short. They fall short in this way. They don't take care of the sin problem. That's it. We can go down the list. Over and over. Any list, any, any religion around the world, whether it's, whether it's Islam, whether it's Buddhism, whether it is Hinduism, whether it's Confucianism, whichever one you want to look at, it doesn't take a sin problem because they say if you do these things, you can get on the path and go to heaven. And wrong. I can't do those things. I can do those things, but it doesn't get me any closer to heaven. It just gets me there. It gets me to the place I'm going a little bit cleaner. The only way to get into heaven, the only way to get there, the only way to make it is to know Jesus. Our comfort comes in the fact that even when life is unbearable, Jesus knows us personally and will be waiting for us as we reach the other side because he's alive. He died on the cross. He was buried. And three days later, the tomb was empty. You know what? The angel didn't roll the stone away from the tomb to let Jesus out. He rolled the stone to let the witnesses in. Jesus was already gone. Daddy had already taken it. That tomb was already empty. There was nothing in there. And that stone was rolled away so that Mary and Simon and Peter and everybody else could see that that tomb was empty. Maybe this morning, you're walking toward the tomb ready to perform a menial task because it's all you know how to do. You've gone to church your whole life. You've sat in the pew. You tithe your 10%. You sing the songs. You do the Baptist calisthenics with the songs. You do all those things. Just because that's what you're supposed to do. That's okay for a while. You can fake it until you make it, but the problem is if you never make it, all you're doing is fake. Maybe this morning, you were expecting something from God and it hasn't happened as you planned. Here's the key. Everything Mary was expecting from God actually happened. It just didn't happen like she thought it was going to happen. We all see those those, those shows on TV and the movies where you know somebody's going to get engaged. And the woman keeps expecting it to happen. This is going to be the time. This is going to be the time. And it doesn't happen. And so then she's all distraught because, well, why didn't he ask me? Sometimes that happens with God. We think God's going to do this. And it doesn't happen the way we think it's going to happen. God, you promised. Okay. My promise is still valid. Doesn't mean it's happening like you think it's going to happen. We make plans and God kind of chuckles. Maybe you're distressed or disturbed or confused about what to do next. Maybe you're simply holding on with all of your energy to the God that you know. Maybe you, like Mary, have seen the angels, the miraculous things around you. You've seen all of these things. 
but you've walked away because they're not Jesus. You know Jesus. You've experienced Jesus, but lately that experience has become fuzzy. You no longer see yourself as a child of God. You can only see yourself as a sinful wretch. Maybe that Jesus-shaped hole inside you is crying out for Him, but you've been struggling with how to fill it back up. Maybe you've experienced Jesus before, but you've been trying to fill His space with everything else. And this morning, you have come to the conclusion that only Jesus will do. Or maybe this morning, you just want to hear Him call your name. Maybe this morning, Jesus is calling your name for the first time. Maybe this morning, He is whispering into your spirit. He is speaking into your soul, and He is saying, just come. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed next week. We're not even guaranteed this afternoon. We're guaranteed this moment. We're guaranteed this breath. We're guaranteed this blink of the eye. This is what we're guaranteed. And if God is speaking to your soul this morning, if He is saying something to you, if He is calling you, don't hold back from that call. Don't hold back from that call. Maybe this morning... You want to surrender missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe you want to pray. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken the step that Blake took this morning. Maybe you've never done that and you haven't experienced Jesus and you don't have a guarantee of where you're going to spend eternity. Today's a great day to do it. Today's a great day to say... Jesus, I just want to know you. It's not hard. You just walk down and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. You pray with Him. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for your blessings.